Well, along with Rodney this morning, I want to welcome you to worship and ask you to open your Bibles or one of the few Bibles to the book of Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 8. Now, as a personal note of appreciation, uh, after serving together in worship services with our extended family with Sports Outreach and also the new Foundations Community uh, Ministry in Uganda and Kenya, many times we've done this before, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to serve with Rodney this morning here at Rivermont. Uh, now, two weeks ago today on Sunday morning, I was sitting in the balcony with my family, and I opened my Bible uh, to the sermon text, and I read ahead knowing that I would be preaching today. When I came to my verses, uh, or verses that we're about to read, my response was simply, oh my. <laughs> now Hebrews 6, 4 to 8 has become somewhat of a battleground for varying theological interpretations. Our Wesleyan and Methodist friends interpret this passage very differently than we do. Uh, they see this passage as one passage that shows that believers can lose their salvation. Those of us of the Reformed faith hold a different position as we interpret Scripture with Scripture. We believe in the perseverance of the saints, that once you have been redeemed by Christ, you have trusted in Him for salvation, you have been united to Him by the work of the Holy Spirit, nothing can snatch you away from His hand. We hold to eternal security because of what Christ has done for us in His death and resurrection and His certain victory over sin and death. There are other positions of these verses, yet I think these are the dominant views. Admittedly, this is not an easy section to interpret, yet may be understood in the context of the book of Hebrews and the Word of God overall. These words are written to profession, professing Hebrew Christians who were doubting their faith in Christ and seriously considering going back into Judaism. So the author of Hebrews is convinced that the great majority of the Hebrew professing Christians were born again, that they did embrace their salvation in Christ. However, he is concerned about some whose actions did not give evidence of saving faith. And that is a good warning for us today. The author gives warning after warning to these professing Christians in order to cause them to examine the reality of their faith, their heart, and determine whether or not they were in growing relationship with the Son of God. These warnings are designed to show the terrible consequences of turning from Christ and becoming an apostate in the words here of Scripture. Now, last week we heard the call to go on to maturity in our faith and understanding of God's Word. And it's interesting, in the close of those verses, it simply says, and this we will do if God permits. Meaning that we must look to a sovereign God who is so much more merciful and gracious than we could ever imagine to carry us forward in life. With that introduction, please hear the reading of God's Holy Scripture. This is Hebrews 6, verses 4 to 8. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, 
to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. <laughs> Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and though it is a hard passage, and though it is one of those passages that searches us, we pray that we would come to it willingly and readily, wanting to be taught from the words of life. Please open our eyes to understand our own hearts, to see our own sin, but especially to see our Savior and to cling to Him by faith. This we ask in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of knowing someone, perhaps someone that you love dearly, who at one time was passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ, and then over a period of time they became indifferent to Christ and finally turned completely away from Him? What happened? How did this person get into this condition? And so you worry about these dear friends because you love them so. According to Scripture, this person falls into the category of becoming apostates. Professing Christians involved in apostasy had at one time adopted Christianity as their religion, but then they turn away from Christ. An apostate may have great intellectual knowledge of Christ and may have experienced many of the external benefits of Christianity. However, he or she has no true saving faith, no relationship with Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, for the sake of clarity, I'm setting this parameter. No true Christian born of the Spirit of God, united with Christ, can ever become apostate because a true Christian born of God's Spirit will persevere in faith. An apostate, however, is one who has professed faith with their lips. They may have great intellectual knowledge of Him, but because a heart has become hardened by the sin of unbelief, they refuse to believe and submit to Christ as God and Savior. So we are facing a difficult passage with a stern warning for the hearts. It's a difficult passage because it is very serious in its subject matter. It's also difficult because you cannot read this passage and remain spiritually detached. It's also a difficult passage because it calls you and I to self-examination, and self-examination is hard work. With this stern warning for the heart, though, we also remember that this difficult passage is God's Word meant for our spiritual benefit. As we know from the Word of God, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we must deal with these words. 
We're going to look at this from three perspectives as the passage unfolds, beginning, first of all, with his severe warning for the heart by looking at verses 4 and 5 to see how we enjoy covenant blessings within the covenant family of God. Now notice this. The language of verses 4 and 5 is language that is designed to speak of the blessings that we have in Christian community. Blessings that we enjoy because we come together as the family of God. In verse 4, our writer speaks of a person who has once been enlightened, who has tasted the heavenly gift, who has shared in the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, the person has tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now, on the surface, it seems that only a Christian could fall into that category. However, note this, verse 4 begins with this prepositional phrase, for it is impossible. And it takes us into verse 6, and verse 6 indicates that it is possible to sit in the midst of the blessings of the Christian community and not really believe in Jesus Christ. Questions arise. Can an unbeliever who does not trust Jesus Christ for their salvation be enlightened and taste of the heavenly gift without truly being born of the Spirit? And the biblical answer is yes. As uncomfortable as that may sound, the answer is yes. To understand this answer, though, we need to look at each phrase in verses 4 to 5 very carefully. The first phrase, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Well, this first phrase includes this key word, enlightened, which speaks of being taught the facts of the gospel. To have a full understanding in some ways of sin, to know that the wages of sin is death, to know that the gift of God for eternal life comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We hear all the facts before the Spirit changes our hearts heart and we are able to respond through repentance from sin turning to Jesus Christ for salvation however what becomes clear in our text and it's supported by other texts in the scripture is that an unregenerate person meaning that their heart has not been changed by the power of God can be enlightened with a clear understanding of Christ in his mind and yet not be born of the Spirit where the heart actually changes. This means that there is no saving faith. The sinful heart has not been born anew. People can accept the facts of the gospel intellectually without laying hold of these facts by faith. For me, I understood the facts of the gospel for years before God finally opened the eyes of my heart. But people that hold to the facts simply in their mind can fall away from these facts without being genuinely converted to faith in Christ. That is the first phrase. But now let's look at the second phrase. They have tasted of the heavenly gift. Now here the heavenly gift is the gift of Jesus Christ applied to us by the Holy Spirit, which results in our salvation. Hallelujah. But note the wording carefully. Professing Christians, in this case, have only tasted this gift. 
Tasting this gift, if you study the Greek in depth, is not the same as eating and digesting the gift. In other words, there were some Hebrew confessing Christians who understand the message of Christ but did not possess the person of Jesus. They knew of the truth of Christ but not the power of Christ. These professing Christians are like the stony ground hearers in the parable of the sower. They hear the gospel. They get all excited about Christ. But later they fall away because there is no foundation of a heart that has been transformed. They have an external religious experience about Christ, but they do not internally experience our Savior. They have an experience, but that experience is temporary. Now this unregenerate person, and again I'm speaking of the heart, a person whose heart has not been changed can taste the heavenly gift of salvation and yet still not know Jesus Christ intimately. As a response of many followers in the synagogue in Capernaum, when Jesus spoke of being the bread of life, that was too much for many of them. But it says that after this, many of his disciples, meaning followers, turned back and they no longer walked with him. The third phrase regarding this apparent blessing of being part of the covenant family, they have shared the Holy Spirit Now, a literal wooden meaning of this Greek of sharing here is just one who goes along with. This means that this person is like a companion or a fellow traveler, indicating an external rather than an internal relationship. It is possible to have the influences of the Holy Spirit upon a person without having the work of the Holy Spirit inside of a person. The result is explicit from what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Hard words, but it's the Scripture. The next phrase, the fourth phrase. They have tasted the good word of God. Again, professing Hebrew Christians had accepted the promises of God in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah, but they had tasted, they had sampled, but they had not gone all the way with trusting Jesus Christ with every facet of their life, including eternity. King Herod serves as an example of a man who at one time enjoyed listening to the preaching of John the Baptist, but he never came to the Savior. He was never drawn to Christ. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, we read that for Herod feared John, this is John the Baptist, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him with gladness. And finally, the last phrase here in verse 5, there is this experience with the powers of the age to come. 
Some of the Hebrew professing Christians, and notice I keep stressing, they are professing Christians. They may speak this with their mouth, but what is occurring in their heart is what is paramount. So these Hebrew professing Christians may have actually seen some of the miracles that Christ and the apostles performed. And these miracles are but examples of the miracles that Christ will do when he comes again in glory. And of course, one of the huge miracles of the scripture is that he changes a dead heart and makes it alive. And yet it is quite possible for a person to see and even to rejoice in a miracle and still not truly trust in Christ. For heart transformation. In Hebrews 6, there is not one mention in these first two verses that we read, verses 4 and 5. This is fascinating. There is not one mention of effectual calling, no mention of the regeneration of the heart, no mention of justification by faith, no mention of adoption as a children or God or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. These are all clear works of God in the salvation of a person that repents of their sin and turns to Christ for salvation. But none of these statements are in these verses. They are part of the foundational truths, though, that we were called to build upon. Remember last Sunday in God's Word, we were called to press on to maturity and move beyond those foundational truths that anchor the soul. But they're there nonetheless. Professing Hebrew members of God's family had none, the ones that he is addressing or is concerned about, had none of these salvation works applied to their hearts although they were exposed to the blessings of covenant family. In a nutshell, verses 4 and 5 here demonstrate that a person can be part of the visible body of Christ, enjoying the benefits of being a, a part of the visible covenant family, yet have no eternal consequence to their soul. It's frightening. So now, in verse 6, the writer turns to this issue of falling away and suffering consequences. Now, the question regarding the Hebrews is not their exposure to the truth of God's Word in the ministry. The question is how they are responding to truth. With the blessing of God's Spirit applying truth to their heart. Now, verse 6 gives an indication of their reaction these Jews, this subset of Jews, had tasted of the blessings of the kingdom of God, yet they have now fallen away. They have turned back from the message of salvation. Their action denotes a finality. For these professing believers who are apostates, we see one of the strongest and most shocking statements one will find in all of Scripture. That it is impossible to restore them again to repentance. In their final rejection of Christ, their condition is beyond recovery. And I plead with the Lord, why? Well, in essence, there is nowhere else for them to turn for eternal security. There is no one else to whom they may turn for salvation other than Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can be added to make them believe after their final repudiation of Jesus. 
For without the atoning sacrifice of Christ, which they have rejected, there is no other true and trustworthy gospel to be preached. Without Christ, there is no forgiveness of sin, and there is no restored relationship with God the Father. They have rejected the one sacrifice that alone can save them from themselves. Now the word here suggests that the impossibility is absolute, or the impossibility is absolute. There is no qualification. The scripture before us will not allow us to water it down as long as those practicing apostasy persist in their renunciation of Christ. There is no possibility of their restoration. And he continues, this is strong language, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Family of God, apostasy is serious. The effect of falling away is to re-crucify Christ and put him to open shame. When Christ went to the cross and died as our substitute, he died to make us right with God, that we would be declared righteous in his sight. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. Nothing else will. When we turn our backs on him and return to the world, We are saying that the world is more worthy than the love of our Savior. We are saying, in effect, that we agree with those who crucified Jesus Christ. And here we are seeing that there are only two decisions one can make regarding our Savior. Either believe Him or reject Him. Anyone who rejects Him becomes one who crucified Him. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. That's in Matthew chapter 12. Family, there's no middle ground. There's no fence to straddle in the Christian faith. You're either a believer or one who by your rejection of the gospel has crucified Christ. And when one rejects Christ in this way, it is impossible for him to be saved in any other way. Now, biblically, please... Understand that this falling away does not refer to a Christian who falls into sin. For any and all of us are capable of falling into sin. No, this is if nor is it related to a falling away just to a nominal profession of faith. For a nominal profession of faith has very little to fall away from except an hollow confession of the mouth. For part of our foundational biblical belief that we are called to as we mature in Christ is the perseverance of the saints. All those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere into the end have been truly born again. I'm trying to make sure you don't miss our anchor Because of very hard words. For Jesus proclaims in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
And many of us love the Apostle Paul and what he writes in Romans chapter 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We don't always understand those purposes, but he's loving us. He's keeping us. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers and catch this lock in this golden chain of salvation. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Perfect past tense. This will happen tomorrow, but it is certain today. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. As Paul says in Philippians 1, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Dear brother and sister, Christ is your anchor today and forevermore. But God's stern warning is for us to examine our hearts to remain faithful to the one who is being tempted to stray away. Now to help us understand this difficult truth, the writer of Hebrews brings us to the third point this morning by sharing with us an illustration. He's helped us to see this element of enjoying the blessings within the covenant family, but it may not secure our salvation. He helps us to see the dangers of falling away and suffering consequences, but now he gives us this illustration in which we watch the rain and we consider the fruits. Verses 7 and 8. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls in it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Now the Word of God falls on us. The rain falls on the ground. What happens? Some of us hear the Word of God. Hallelujah. We believe and we receive the blessings from God and we become useful vegetation producing a crop. But others hear the Word. They reject it. It becomes thorns and thistles. They are near to being cursed according to these words. Literally, this means that they are on their way to eternal judgment and separation from God. Now, the message, the rainfall, it's the same. It is not as if a different rain fell on the useful, useful vegetation or a different rain fell on the thorns. No, the rain, the Word of God, is the same. The only difference is the response of the human heart. One can have a perfectly green lawn or a perfectly green dandelion field that is produced by the same rain. Correct? My front yard treated well, green. Backyard not treated so well, dandelions. It's an illustration. I can see it. But it is the same for us. The same message of salvation brings salvation and blessing to some and yet judgment and rejection by others. There are parallel passages in the Scriptures. In John 15, he declares that I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Yet if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire, they are burned. There are those who bear fruit, and there are those who do not. It is impossible for a true believer not to bear fruit. On the other side, it is impossible for the unbeliever to bear the fruit of righteousness. Those who believe in the person and work of Jesus, for their salvation you are eternally sealed. You abide in Him forever, and those who experience His salvation, though, will bear a fruit that others will see. But those who reject Him are discarded as tares. Now this is moving to Matthew 13. And they will endure judgment and punishment through fire. And so one question we ask this morning, before we come to conclusion, have you sat week after week, month after month, year after year, rejecting the truth of God's Word, even though you may be in the fellowship of God's people? Or are you one in which the Word of God fell upon and you have believed and you are now bearing fruit? Now, if you are a sinner here and know your separation from God and have come to a point where you have believed that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that He came to earth to die for your sins, please place your faith in Him and in Him alone today. Celebrate the birth that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to you by His power and by God's mercy and grace. Ask Him to forgive you and to save you today. And yet as we come to our conclusion, three words of encouragements to spur us on in faithfulness. First of all, with this severe warning for the heart, please live your life boldly in Christ and for Christ as revealed to you in His Word. That is so important for us to hear today because we sit under the faithful ministry of God's Word and we have done so in this congregation for generations. What a blessing! And yet, do not forget the warning for the heart. It is possible to sit under the faithful preaching of the Word and not believe in Jesus Christ. Not to put your trust in Him for salvation. It's not the fault of the preaching of God's Word. It's not the fault of faithful deacons and elders and men and women that are teaching Bible studies. Rather, consistently allow the Word of God to examine your own heart. Ask yourselves consistently, whom do you trust? Where are you putting your faith? What do you really believe? And the author of Hebrew is saying that these people that are turning their back on Jesus are showing that they perhaps never ever got it because you do not turn your back on Jesus Christ and still have a sacrifice for sin that remains. So this word of warning is very, very pertinent to us today. And maybe you know and love people like I know and love who in the wake of a bad experience in the church, they have come to a place where they say, I've tried Christianity. 
I've tried the church. I'm going on to something else. I'm still spiritual. I'm still religious. I still want God, but Christianity doesn't work for me anymore. And yet Hebrews 4, 4 to 8 tells us that you cannot walk away from Jesus without eternal consequence. I'm not excusing the church. We can really mess things up. But that's not a reason to walk away from Jesus. Jesus is the one person you don't want to walk away from. And the Spirit through the Word is saying to us, don't turn your back on Jesus. Don't walk away from Him. Keep believing Jesus. The whole of your faith turns on Jesus. Your relationship to Him, your attitude towards Him, your belief in Him, your trust in Him, that's at the very heart of your faith. Don't walk away from your Savior. Live your life boldly for Him. The second encouragement here with this severe warning for the heart is to examine the fruit of your heart and life. God is raining His blessings all around us, and we need to ask ourselves, am I bringing forth thorns and thistles, or am I bringing forth fruit rooted in Jesus Christ? A clear passage to hold up for the examination of our heart is Galatians 5. Based on the fruit of the Spirit, we examine our heart by reading through the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit in these verses to see how we're doing. It's a good, good check. Paul tells us in Galatians 5, beginning at verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and other things like these. I warn you that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Remember again God's conviction, repentance. There is forgiveness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no Law. Finally, with this severe warning for their heart, heart, the third thing to do is to respond to the Lord's kindness and plead God's mercy for those whom you love. Because only the Lord will change the human heart. It is not your burden to change another's person's heart, but you may plead with the Lord for His grace and mercy to do so. So keep praying for one another and especially for your loved ones. This isn't just a warning to believers to grow up in their faith, although it is that. It's also a warning to those who think that they are believers but are not, not to fall away into eternal judgment. Again, remember, True believers do not go back to their old way of life. True believers persevere in faith and obedience. To give up the Christ who sacrificed himself on the cross and go back to the pleasures of this evil world or to the empty shell of religion is extremely dangerous, possibly spiritually fatal. So dear family of God, keep praying. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep praying for those whom you love for the Lord to move in their hearts. And keep walking with Jesus, for He will bring you safely home. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. And we ask You to to apply the truth of Your Word to our own hearts and the power of the Spirit. By Your grace, may we strive for the full assurance of grace and bear the fruit of the Spirit through our Savior by His power. For any questioning faith today, Please clear doubt from their hearts and minds so that they see the Savior clearly and that they trust in Him. Oh, Father, break the skepticism of those who are dealing of apostasy, that they may run to Jesus in faith. We ask this in our precious Savior's name. Amen.